Hey, we're back with another episode, so I will get to start off with a little bit of history. Um, firstly, uh, on this day in 1984, Lisa Gibbons, who was a reporter, kind of, you know, she, well, anyways, she made her first appearance on Entertainment Tonight, and she was there for a long time, almost since this station started, and um, past that, she went on to do other things related to the entertainment industry and um, kind of charities and stuff and uh, I don't think I realized that she was there for that long yeah I had no idea that she started on entertainment tonight because I've always known the other girl Lisa Hart or something yeah yeah so yeah I thought that was pretty interesting and then secondly, on this day in 1985, 1995, Walt Disney announced that um, the acquisition of Capital Cities, which is what ABC was called then, um, had happened for $19 million. And as we know now, ABC is worth, ABC Disney is worth much more than that. And, and they absolutely have like ESPN, ESPN Sports, and so much more under their belt. So um, it's a, a huge franchise now enormous undertaking. (laughs) Brandon likes film. Lauren prefers TV. Together, they chronicle life in a peak entertainment era. Welcome to It's a Streamable Life. Thank you for pressing play on another edition of It's a Streamable Life with Brandon and Lauren. This week, we'll revisit the latest episodes of Westworld and Evil, but we'll close a little differently with our thoughts on Beyonce's official return with Act One of Renaissance. But first, let's get into what's news. All righty, so over HBO Max, I meant to start the show, but never did, because it just came out literally like a month or so ago, but HBO Max has canceled Gordita Chronicles, um, this was a series featuring a Latinx family growing up or living in 1980s uh, Miami. Um, it kind of gave vibes of like everybody hates Chris, but like a Dominican family, Dominican American family. Yeah. Um, and basically, it got the axe because HBO Max is shifting away from live action family programming. So. Um, they're hoping that the show can find another home because it was critically praised and had a, a decent following. But yeah, just another casualty of the Warner Brothers Discovery merger and everything shaking up there. Next, um, we all learned that Adam, who? We all learned that, what's his name? Ben Affleck? Yes, oh my God, <laughs> blank. I had Batfleck and then couldn't remember what his real name was. We all know that Ben Affleck is returning as Batman in the Aquaman sequel. Um, Jason Momoa kind of spilled the beans in the Instagram posts. So um, the DC fans can look forward to that. And I guess he's replacing Michael Keaton, who was supposed to be originally portraying his Batman. Okay. So something in their, not multiverse, but whatever they call it, different dimension. Uh, happening there um and then will smith returned on the scene in a uh five minute video that basically 
had him give an official apology to Chris Rock regarding the Oscar incident, um, stating that he's, you know, been working on himself, um, said that, you know, it's not his character and that it's not Jada's fault, basically sort of like a, a um, needlepoint period to that situation. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I didn't expect it, but I wasn't really mad at it. I just kind of shrugged it off since I felt that yeah. situation had already been over. But um, with speculation that Apple could still drop his emancipation film, there was probably some type of planned response to sort of ease him back right. into the spotlight later this year. So, hmm. but good for him. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, well, earlier this week, a list came out and I think it was released, it was released by a UK company, I think they're called Yard. And this list spoke about different um, celebrities and how they kind of contribute to um, CO2 emissions with their private jets. So they had a list of who was on there. And at the top of the list was Taylor Swift. And I think she was followed by Floyd Mayweather. I think Drake was on there, Travis Scott, and a lot of people. And the problem wasn't so much that they were taking private jets. Well, that's part of the problem. It was how often they were taking private jets. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, for Taylor Swift, I think the number was in the first 200 days of this year, uh, her plane was in the sky for 170 of those days, which, you know, that's insane, especially if oh, gosh. Uh, you're putting up those emissions and it's carrying, you know, mm -hmm. like a few people. And so her team came out and said that, you know, her plane is loaned out all the time. It's not always her who's on the plane. And um different people have come out in defense of why they use it. And uh, there's even something saying that Kylie Jenner was on, took a private plane for like a 12 minute flight. And it's just like, exactly. wow. And it, and you understand that, you know, these people need privacy, but like, yeah, we're just in a crisis. climate crisis. Yeah, like that's that's nuts. Travel together, damn it. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's that. And even with the attention, I'm sure nothing will change. Exactly. Um, Secondly, everything, everywhere, all at once hit a first for the film company A24. They became the first uh, film by the production company to hit $100 million globally. Oh, wow. And um, yeah, so that's 68.9 here in the United States and then another 30 internationally. So, um, and then outside of the US, the top earning um, location was United Kingdom followed by Canada. And so, yeah, it's pretty good for that. Kind of with all the films that they put out and as much attention as they've gotten, that's it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, and then lastly, in some news that I think I reported on weeks ago, Paul Haggis had been arrested in Italy for an alleged um, sexual assault on a young woman. And after, I think he was in two weeks of house arrest in like a hotel there, the case was overturned that um, you know, the judge ruled on his side and he's free to go, apparently. So this happened Friday evening oh, wow. that the, the ruling came down. So uh, I, I don't really, we probably won't know much more than that, but the whole thing is just, I guess they found inconsistencies in her, uh, in her story that she gave. But I think it's also important to know that this woman is the third or fourth one to accuse Paul Haggis of sexual assault over 
the last few years. So, um, mm. yeah, but yeah, I keep I keep an eye on him. Something that's clearly not right. Yeah. yeah, where there's smoke, there's multiple fires. Clearly, yes, yes. All right, and coming up today in the news for today, uh, we oddly lost three um, well-known <clears throat> pop culture icons. First up. It was announced that Celtics legend and activist Bill Russell had passed away at the age of 88, um, 11-time NBA champion, the first Black head coach of any U.S. major yeah. sport. That's insane. Um, I didn't realize he was that old. I knew he was old, but I didn't think it was the 80s. Yeah, yeah. didn't realize that. Um, so there was a bunch of tributes and everything for him. Um, and it's going to be interesting how uh, the NBA acknowledges this um, in its next season. I'm sure there will be sort of like a just season long tributes and and acknowledgement right. his contribution to the game and to the world at large. Um, and then literally a few minutes after that announcement, it was announced that Michelle Nichols, uh, most known for her role on the original Star Trek series, had passed away. Um, she was 89. Um, yeah. And I know she had, in, in recent years, had kind of fallen on poor health. Um, yeah. And she had that, I guess, manager that was taking advantage of her as well. So um, kind of sad to hear, but she was a legend in her own right. Um, a trailblazer for Black actresses on television mm -hmm. and was part of the first interracial kiss on network tv so okay definitely a legend and i think then, the thing oh, okay. oh my bad i was gonna say it's same you know we're losing all these people but i think the thing is is that you know part of what makes it weird is that we're so used to seeing some of them and then we forget that you know right I mean, he was almost 90 years old and she was almost 90 years old that's a that's a long life that's a, mm -hmm. definitely and then just like 30 minutes after that, it was announced that Tony, Emmy, and Grammy-winning uh, actress Pat Carroll passed away at 95, and she was most known for uh, portraying Ursula in The Little Mermaid. Um, okay. I had never seen her before. Yeah, so like, same. Seeing the photos, I was like, oh, that's who that is. Um, but yeah, she was a legend in her own right. Um, that roles can kind of came latter in her career. She she portrayed it in different variations uh, throughout the franchise. So um, R.I.P. to all those legends, sincerely. Yeah. Um, and trailer things, I couldn't think of much that dropped this week other than Netflix's trailer for the Marilyn Monroe uh, biopic Blonde, starring Ana de Armas as. Norma Jean, aka Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. Um, it looks like it's based on a book about her life and sort of explores the dual unknown role she played as this persona. Um, not few many people knew the real Norma Jean. Um, what did you think of the trailer? Um, I was blown away by the makeup. She looks like her. I mean, she. Yeah. How is this? Marilyn Monroe is obviously known for her sex appeal and her body. So 
and Anadarmus is just a different build. So that's not there clearly, but like in the face, the hair she looks like her. And I was interested in how she's going to sound because, you know, Anadarmus is, uh, she's Cuban, right? I believe so. Yeah. So, but anyway, I mean, you don't hear her talk too much in the, uh, in the trailer. In the yeah. trailer. But, anyways, uh, I don't know. It looks interesting, but it's definitely something I'll check out. I, I think they've been beating the story into the ground like please let her rest in peace because exactly we can move on but um yeah i guess i'll check it out yeah and the way the film is portrayed seems to take some type of liberties narrative wise just some maybe fantastical components or something um so it should be an interesting interesting portrayal and for her to have for it to have an NC seventeen rating, I'm kind of curious as yeah to what's happening. So I don't know. We'll see. There there was another trailer I saw. I'm not sure if you saw it, but it was for the Princess. This is a documentary coming on HBO. Oh, I did not see it, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Now this is just kind of like a documentary of um, Princess Diana, another woman who they need to let rest in peace, and. Um, yeah, this is going to be on the HBO. And I, I guess it's just looking to her life and how the media spotlight affected her. And I'm not sure what else more they can share, but I guess there's just like archival footage and all that. So, yeah, I say. did. I read where I guess they'll include the controversial BBC interview now um, in the documentary. So, we'll, we'll see what happens. Right. Um, and then this weekend's box office, we had a new number one in DC's League of Super Pets. Uh, this once again reunited Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart um, as pets who have to end up saving the world when their superhero owners are decapitated, somehow incapacitated, not decapitated, incapacitated. It got 23 million. Um, which is less than, I guess, the Lego movie, which might have been the last big DC animation film theatrically. Um, yeah. And then Nope came in second with 18.5 million. And that was a 58% drop for the second week for Nope. But that's pretty typical for horror films. So um, okay. I guess the summer still has a few movies to sort of finish out strong. Um, the uh, Brad Pitt and Bullet Train, which I don't know, that looked very not good. <laughs> nah, and it has Bad Bunny in there? Yeah, the, the cast is pretty eclectic, but that's my thing. Yeah. Like, I always get weary when casts are like very high caliber and random at the same time yeah yeah and the trailer just wasn't wasn't no, i didn't hit yeah. yeah so we'll see what happens there uh we'll now transition to our next segment pick six all right what were you watching uh this past week that stood out to you okay um i was uh, in high school, this is going to sound so strange, but there's like a group of friends that we had and we were like deep into Pretty Little Liars, like the whole 
there were guys or girls as everybody we were we were deep into that shit we're trying to figure everything out anyways um this weekend three episodes of the new kind of addition in the canon happened um it was pretty little liar original sin and i got to the first episode and i was kind of it was interesting and it's weird to see new faces and everybody and it looks so so young and so that was kind of like like why am i watching this but at the same time, I was interested in it. It, was, it wasn't too bad. And I think I'll probably will finish the first few episodes, but um, still kind of trying to draw how it connects to the first part yeah. that I think everybody is used to. So once I do that, and I'm sure it's there, um, but uh, yeah, but either ways, yeah, so far so good just on that first episode. All right. And okay, secondly, um, TCM or Turner Classic Movies, they do a lot of um, kind of like indie or like uh, art house films. And so this month will, when this comes out, it'll be last month of July. Uh, they focused on kind of underground black films. And so they showed Medicine for Melancholy. And this is the first full, full feature film of Barry Jenkins. And it premiered in 2008 at South by Southwest, if I'm not mistaken. And um, it's, it's really good, kind of simple concept. It's like an hour and a half long, but these two people who are living in very different lives. Uh, there's a, a black woman, um, her name is Joe, uh, and then a guy named Micah, who's played by a Wyatt Cenac. Is that how you pronounce his last name? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they kind of, they meet together, uh, they, they share a taxi, she forgets her wallet, he returns it, and then they share in, like the day together and just kind of talk about the city of uh, San Francisco, which this is set in, and uh, just talk about gentrification and race and all these different things while kind of having like these romantic moments. They think they go to like a concert or something. And uh, one thing is that, you know, why it's very much about being black and you know he's in a very white dominated city as a black man and then joe is also in an interracial relationship and so um he doesn't approve of that even though they just met so it's like it's interesting though it's um hmm. i'm not sure if it will come back on again or if it's something that can be found but uh i i dvr'd it and i checked it out and yeah i thought it was pretty good yeah i've heard a lot about it I mean, over the years, just because it was his first film. Right, right. Um, and that's definitely a different type of film for Black people. You don't see it's just sort of like existing just in a regular day. Um, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I've heard great things about it. And uh, just one more thing. I did want to say, I did see another trailer, and this one really, really kind of got my attention and it's called untold the rise and fall of and one basketball this is oh. on netflix and if you were around in the early 2000s and one basketball was everywhere they had shoes uh clothing line and then the and one mixtapes where they would go on tour and play in like gyms and you know these guys were doing nuts things like stuff you just wouldn't see in the nba but they were they were superstars and then it just fell out. So I'm really, really interested in that on uh, on Netflix. I'm not sure the date, but I, I do know that that was a trailer that dropped this week. Okay, yeah, I remember seeing it online. Um, Cause that whole untold story was to have like 
or untold series is supposed to have like a second season. Um, yeah, yeah. Because they're also going to discuss that football player's incident when he like made up the girlfriend. Oh, uh, what's his name? Something Teo. I can't remember his first name. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, all that that was nuts. Yeah, so we'll probably get you know to see get to the root of that because it was just. Yeah. An insane incident early yeah. on in social media. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Oh God. <laughs> um, I'll uh, start with the movie I watched. I watched The Gray Man on Netflix, and this is was um, directed by the Russo brothers of Avengers: Infinity War and Game Fame. I starred Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans, um, and it was all right. Um, it played with a lot of familiar, uh, action storylines before, um, Ryan Gosling's character is a convict who is hired as a quote-unquote gray man to go on covert missions as an assassin for this company or whatever, um, basically the CIA, and, um, he goes on a mission to, um, kill this asset and it turns out the asset is on the same team as his um and he finds this conspiracy to where the people he's working for are like picking off people for another agenda within the cia like the you Mm -hmm. find out who the bad guy is and everything within the first 15 minutes so it's sort of like i wish there was more mystery yeah Um, yeah but yeah and then they throw in some girl he babysat two years earlier and has to protect her so they it was like a a mixture of familiar films that have done it a lot better like men on fire or the professional um so yeah it it, it was it was just all right the action in it was definitely big but i don't know it felt it felt big but didn't feel as clean as i thought it could be i don't i don't know okay yeah but i'm i'm thinking they're planning um a sequel impossible spinoff so they're trying to make this sort of like a netflix franchise thing um i finished the second season of hacks finally um it was pretty decent uh it's funny i'll be interesting to see what this third season will, will be because it definitely ended in a way where you no know, it didn't have to return, you know, kind of close the story. Right, right. Um, so I'm guessing there might be a time jump in the next season, not a dramatic one, but um, just as some of these characters have sort of splittered into their own storylines. Uh, I'm interested interested to see what season three would look like. Right. Um, and then also on HBO Max, I started the third season of Harley Quinn. There's uh, three episodes out of the half hour animated adult comedy. And it's the same uh, crude but smart humor. Um, they've, int- excuse me, introduced some new characters we were familiar with. We get Nightwing, um, which is Dick Grayson, the original ba- uh, Robin. Um, we have Damien, who's a new Robin. Um, who else did they add? 
we, we see some various characters in some different scenarios, um, but it is really good. We're seeing how Harley and Ivy are going to exist as a couple now um, and learn more about each other um, while still trying to dominate the world. Yeah. But it's a good watch. Not, yeah, no, it shows hilarious. So I need to get on those three episodes. <laughs> Yeah, and there's a scene with Snollyson's Catwoman that literally makes you cackle because it's very true. It, it, it's, okay. it's interesting how they incorporate real life in these characters, just under the guise of, you know, superheroes. Right, right. All right, that wraps up the pick six, and we're going to take a quick break before we get into our next segment. And we are back uh, with our previously on. Um, we are on episodes eight and five of Evil and Westworld, respectively. Um, and let's start off with Evil. We had the Demon of Parenthood. And this was a very frightening <laughs> episode. It was dark, man. It was very dark. Yes, and I basically summed it up as, you know, tackling the complete anxiety that is pending parenthood yeah. and the surmountable ordeal it is when you realize you have to raise another human being, like you're responsible for another life. Um, and just the, the fear within all of that, because it can make yeah. some people break. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what were your initial thoughts on this episode? Um, I thought it was pretty good. I, I don't know if you felt it, but it, it seemed to jump around a lot. And I know that if they got, what, an episode left? Is it next week, the season finale? I think they have two, because I think there's 10 okay. episodes. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, to me, they just seem, they're tr it seems like they're trying to fit everything in to make sure every story gets told in. Um, like, that's fine, but it, at some points during the episode, you kind of get, like, overwhelmed, like, hold on, let me wait what story is this but anyways um i thought it was really good i like this whole thing now that we know what's going on with lexis with lexi mm -hmm. and um kind of that story and where that's heading um seeing uh oh god where uh kristen's kind of just descent into madness she seems like she's always on the verge of losing her mind and yeah um, katia is it herbers so, yeah. Her, yeah, she's such a, a good actress. Um, that scene where she walked into the bedroom of the mother on that family, that was that was nuts. But um Yeah. Um but yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's really good. And there's one scene in there, it's when she goes down to the kitchen and that baby's in the cradle and she's just feeding it. And you never know what you're gonna expect or what you, you're gonna see. You never know what to expect, I should say. And I was just like, like what the hell is going on? And then the demon and her daughter doing the flossing dance. I was like, wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> There's just yeah. so much. Yeah, this this sort of like development with Alexis and sort of the breaking of trust with David, who she loves. Like she didn't go as far as to say like she's in love with him, but he was sort of like her moral compass as someone who doesn't believe in God. So when that trust is broken, 
she's definitely spiraling back to the night terrors and just this massive insecurity um about like her her position not not only as like a human being but as a mother Uh, yeah that um like the scene with her and david near the end um, yeah both sort of like where he's trying to explain himself and she's almost near tears like you you can feel that this is very hard um hard for her and him um i agree like it felt a little jumpy in some part especially with everything that's going on with kurt and leland right right um which i guess he's he's basically trying to have him become possessed. And is this a way to sort of like feed his ultimate goal? Like, like the way he was trying to collect people, the way he was trying to recruit people earlier, well, that, yeah, yeah. is that what's going to happen with Kurt eventually? I suspect. Yeah, uh, yeah that's what I'm guessing. <laughs> um. Any other stuff with Lexus? I the I'm glad she didn't see Cheryl's boss. Um, and or so could, we think. I, so we think. Yeah, she could just be lying and be smarter than Cheryl. Because Cheryl, I mean, like she's all up in this like demonic shit, but like she's definitely second guessing herself and not fully. Right committed i don't know if she's yeah. going to realize at when it while it's too late that she's made a horrible mistake or what right um, but yeah that was interesting taking her to work um and the toy thing i thought was a little loose as like the yeah the mission the yeah 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 um definitely terrifying but oh, yeah. <laughs> it actually made sense, you know, people sending messages about right, the labor, yeah. their labor, uh, basically slave labor in China and how it connected to ultimately, you know, the rescue of, of Grace, who we hadn't seen since, what, last season? You're right, yeah. So I'm glad they connected that together. But I feel the strongest moments in this episode were definitely with Kristen and this couple and the whereabouts of her missing egg. Um, and just the incredulous descent that happened to this couple because of this man's um, premonitions of his unborn child. Yeah. I definitely wasn't expecting that to be no. the outcome. Um, but I guess they foreshadowed when he was like ripping his garden to pieces. Yeah, because he said something about everything was just poison. It's just like a trap. So yeah, and and of course, Kristen seemed a bit alarmed at that. But when she showed up to that house and the door was open, I was like, did someone yeah. take her? Like, right. The- the whole episode gave me, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a movie by David Lynch called Eraserhead. And in it, this guy is, has become a father to a baby who's like this little alien thing. And that scene in the kitchen gave me that, but 
the rest of it, this whole talk of like a demonic baby really reminded me of like Rosemary's baby. I was yeah. like, like, oh, there's some strong, uh, strong vibes here. <laughs> and it, it sort of further cements her fears about Alexis. Um, yeah, yeah. And what RSM was really doing. Uh, but yeah, they the the kings know how to make something horrific without doing much. Um, just her her finding Logan the husband on the stairs with the bloody garden tool, right. running up there, seeing the room, see her reaction. Like I was, I was horrific. <laughs> I I just yeah, that that was a slasher film reaction. She. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was terrified. I was not expecting. That's definitely was what I wasn't ex- suspecting. Right, um, right. But yeah, it, it was a definitely a solid episode, and I think it's just building up to whatever we're going to get um, in the finale. Right. Definitely. Yes, yeah, so we have two episodes left um, on the seventh and the fourteenth. So there's 10 episodes this season. And those air every, uh, stream every Sunday on Paramount Plus. And then we maneuver to HBO Max for the, excuse me, fifth episode of Westworld. Uh, I believe it's not pronounced Zongzi. Oh, Zongzi. You got me. I was thinking like Zongazi or something. I, that's what I was saying too, but I just now looked at it and realized the letters are not organized like oh. <laughs> Benghazi. <laughs> yeah. But I did Google real quick, and uh, Zhongzi was a Chinese philosopher who sort of believed that hmm. death wasn't the end. Um, he sort of thought that when someone dies, their aura sort of lives on. And that's definitely a core. Um, theme within this show as right. you know people die but their souls per se um entity are carried on just like data and a flash drive almost right right um so, so what were your thoughts on this episode as a whole uh i thought it was really good definitely starting to bring um some things uh how do i say this almost answer some of the questions that I think I had. And uh, I, I, I like the whole idea of now the people who realize that their reality has been altered can see this tower and the skyline. Mm-hmm. And um, now that we know all about, uh, what's her name, Christina and this, but Dolores, her her whole background and what's going on there. And uh, you have Ed Harris's character starting to question stuff. And yeah, it's starting to get really good. So I, I enjoyed this episode. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I love the opening uh, Williams discussion with this couple that they don't realize yeah. they're they're there for his uh, amusement, basically. Right, right. Um, and just the way he deconstructed that, um, called everything a beautiful lie. Um, and then we we learn what well, we get the breadcrumbs of a certain hosts that are, I guess you call awakening um, from the code that they've been sort of drilled to follow. And it seems that hosts interaction with humans sort of trigger 
I guess the human innate in them to wake up. Um, right. Yeah. And they sort of react like this woman, Hope, um, was sent to kill one of these outliers, which happened to be that homeless man who was talking about a tower. Right. Right. And interacting with him sort of awakened the human in her and she sort of went off killing aimlessly disrespecting the rules of the game um so she was going to be the next asset to perish um i i loved that whole like a basically a, like a virus in the code um that yeah, was constructed. yeah that's very interesting um and then Hale realizing that, you know, controlling the world isn't all it cracked up to be. <laughs> she's, right. she's bored with her toys. Her making them into a chair to sit down. That's some boss bitch. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because she said it when she said it. I was like, what are you talking about chair? And then she like, I said it again because they didn't do it. And then she sat down. I was like, and then she slouched. Like, like oh, <laughs> God. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm loving everything. Um, and something occurred to me, like, um, that that term, you can't get free by using the master's tools. This is sort right. of like being reflected in hell, thinking that she would achieve sort of succession and liberation by enacting the same oppression that the humans had on the hose. Like, it's, it's starting to backfire. Um, right. And we learned that there's... 38 dead hosts all have died by suicide after interacting with the outlier. And I'm guessing Peter had been one of those outliers. Yeah, um, I think so. Yeah, this the stalker of um Christina's stalker, because we know he eventually jumped off that cliff. I guess he had yeah. become awakened at some point. Um and then our other narrative, Stubbs um and uh what's his name bernard they you know separated on different teams yeah. um and sub teams has arrived to the city because they are going to rescue this outlier before um william can kill her um and they succeed but they're met up with a great uh arsenal of hosts sort of like to stop them which was i think was a very very interesting battle. Um, as we learn that like this group is like the last free humans um, in this in this version of the world. So they have to be careful because hell would be able to pick up on them and target them immediately. Hmm. Yeah. And then with Christina, she realizes that um she is still Dolores deep down in her code and she basically has the same powers as hell because hell is just a copy of her um, right right and i love that she was the old friend like i literally yelled bitch because yeah. <laughs> hell's a will oh, take kept oh, no. tabs on her. i was gonna yeah, say yeah. i've been keeping tabs on her um just because yeah, she was like uh, i have a way of getting my answers out of people i was like oh Mm-hmm. And she's been basically making sure she's stayed within the parameters of the code. Um, but yeah, I just love that interaction. Uh, because Teddy, I, I'm not sure how Teddy's become aware or where he's come from either. 
Yeah, he just popped up and hopefully yeah, they go ahead. Oh no, I was just saying hopefully they get into that story. Yeah, because he was just like a a superhero who came up in the night and stuff. So mm-hmm. um but yeah, that interaction with Hell and Christina was really interesting. And then Christina finally realizes, you know, the inner God inside her. Um she forces her manager to basically forget everything. Um, and she brings up the city and realizes like everything is just a game. They're they're in a game. They're not in the real world. So loving that. And then we ended with um, William sort of questioning uh, this whole plan and his sort of role in Hale's ultimate plan with the real William and realizing that he might be just as expendable or dispendable as um, the other hosts. Right. So yeah, it was a very good episode. Yeah, definitely learned a lot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we will get episode six uh, this evening to discuss next week. Um, and this finale is the same day as Evils. So they both wrap up on the 14th. Okay. I believe. Yeah. Because yeah. tonight will be episode six. Six. Right. Yeah. Then eight. Yeah. All right. And then next week, uh, we'll have some new shows we may discuss. Uh, Showtime has a third season of City on the Hill. And FX on Hulu's comedy reservation doc returns for its second season. So excited to get back into those uh, stories. That brings us to our feature presentation. And this week we're doing a bit different here. Um, We haven't discussed music in a while, but it was a global uh, phenomenon as Beyonce released her seventh studio album, Renaissance. Uh, officially Act One Renaissance, part of a yeah. three acts release that I guess will all happen this year. Um, 16 tracks, all sort of inspired by uh, Black dance music, whether it's uh, funk, um, house, Afrobeats, electronic, Miami bass, it's all in there. And the album is definitely speaking to the LGBTQ plus community um, from beginning to end. Yeah. Um, so um, after much after much anticipation, finally dropped on Friday. Um, I believe it broke a bunch of records for streaming, becoming the fastest number one album by a female artist on Spotify. Um, she has the top nine songs on Apple Music right now. Um, so yeah, what are your initial thoughts on Renaissance? Uh, I really enjoyed it. I I absolutely love house music and dance music of all sorts. So when I heard that that was kind of the theme behind this, I was like, okay, yeah, we'll try to get into that. But um, I was just kind of blown away. I think the, the songs are good and the music's good. And I think what I really just enjoy is that uh, Beyonce is not afraid in the sense that she's, she's gonna try new things. I think that's the real mark of a, of a true and good artist. So yeah, right. I really, Agreed. really enjoyed that, yeah. Yeah, same here. Um, 
I was really interested ever since the news came out that this will be more dance heavy, um, dance focused, and just sort of like fun, free music. Right. Summer. Um, and she definitely delivered. It doesn't feel like 16 songs the way the transitions are impeccable and right. the songs just keep going. Um, right. In a similar fashion, you know, Drake's album earlier had the same feel, but it, I just couldn't connect much with that, mainly because his vocals are just not as uh superior or popular yeah, no. so after a while I, I, you don't want to hear his voice yeah because at some point it, it sounds like he's he in a, his yeah i agree with you i think the nicest way to put it is his, his they just the beats that he had and his voice just didn't complement one another right right yeah. um but uh beyonce is an excellent vocalist and she definitely shows her range throughout um the 16 track album um it starts with i'm that girl which is sort of like a almost like a a trap dance type intro thing um she's like singing but then she's rapping which she's done uh quite a while in her career um followed by cozy and alien superstar both pulling ex uh their sound and influence from like the ballroom culture yeah because uh, both those songs were produced by honey dijon who is a big house oh uh, yeah she's insane she's so good um, <laughs> producer um and then we get the sort of 70s influenced cuff it that feels like a um um something straight out of like her work it out sort of era uh, which i kind of feel like her her debut album was initially supposed to have that sort of like 70s theme but when that single yeah. catch on they decided to switch gears so i feel like this is sort of like residue res residuals of that sound and influence right. um we have the very short but very pivotal vital energy which yeah. um has a bit of afro beat in it before it sort of crescendos into the first single which is break my soul which sounds so much better in the context of the album oh yeah yeah when the way the yeah the way the song bleeds into that one yeah it makes much more sense yeah so break my soul features uh big fridia and then the sample of robin s's uh show me love um yeah. it's a, a great crescendo until we get into the next sort of set uh which is the um clark sister sampling of church girl <laughs> Which is, <laughs> yeah, which sort of embodies sort of the um, essence of gospel and spiritual and sexual, where all those things, especially in Black music, are sort of very intricately linked. Um, and, you know, we had people naysaying, like, how could you call it church girl? How should you use that, sing that, use that single and that sample in the song? But if you if you study black music enough, the secular and spiritual are very intertwined. Yeah. And in the beginning of house music, the samples that like DJs like Frankie Knuckles and all these people that are making music in Detroit and Chicago, that's what they did. They sampled gospels, like they spliced gospel music and laid these melodic house beats under them. And they made hits off of that. And so this, yeah, it's nothing new. 
Yeah, and it's it's yeah. definitely part of the black music culture. Right, um, right. To, to have the blues and gospel riff right. off each other, so it, it's it's not unfamiliar. No. Um, then we get into the most the slower song, probably the slowest song on the album, but uh, sort of like the drifty balladry of Plastic Off the Sofa, which was produced by Sid of the Internet fame. Um, this is definitely a smooth song, very lovey-dovey song. Um, and that gets into the longest song on the on the album, Virgo's Groove, um, which yeah. is like a confession of love. Um, definitely like a a dance all night type of uh, vibe. Yeah. And then we get into another set, like all these three, four sets of songs with like different eras within the same album. Um, Virgo Groove ends to go into the Afrobeat influence move, which features Tim's and the iconic Grace Jones. Yeah, uh, that was, yeah, that was really good. <laughs> yeah, move has like this sort of, heavy drum beats um it, it definitely once it, it 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 compels you to get on the dance floor and right, right. show out and show off and that gets into the sort of drake assisted he did you can definitely tell his influence on this track um, mm -hmm. especially in the chorus the way the uh the harmonies are layered um it sounds like something that he would have done on his most uh, recent album, actually. Um, but with Heated, you get her talk, talking her shit near the end. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the going best part. Off on any naysayers. Um, and then sort of the repetition. Uh, it, she, she delivers it like she's like a, a DJ at a ball. And the repetition of um, Uncle Johnny made my dress. And what she yeah. say? That cheap spandex, she looks a mess. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's fire. Yeah. Um, that goes into Thick. And this may be my least favorite song on the album. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree. It didn't hit the way I thought it would. The beat's nice, but yeah, it's just kind of like, okay. Yeah, it's definitely more current. Um sort of like in that trap lane it's been produced by hit boy yeah um, so it might definitely go off for like the kids but right right it definitely feels a, a little void from the rest of the album um then we get into all up in your mind which is like a electronic experimental thing which i really like i wish it was a bit longer i would have i would have re removed thick and made all up in your mind maybe five minutes where it crescendos into like a like the disco type of I don't know frenzy to where you're just sort of losing it. Um, right. But was it so short? And the last three are are fire. You have America has a problem, which I thought was going to be like this sort of like social political message song. Yeah, and it wasn't. <laughs> right, and it just, it pops off into like this, again, like voguing beats. Um, yeah, that's a good song. And then we get into the uh, sort of like two-headed song here, two-tile song, Pure Honey, which is definitely made for the balls and the girls. Um, yeah. 
that that was my fun my fun that was my favorite that was yeah yeah it's it's fire and then the donna summer sampled summer renaissance is a great closing track sort of embodies um sort of the the grand sort of ballroom disco sound that donna summer made legendary um and it's just a perfect send-off of an album that I, it surpassed my expectations. I didn't know what to expect, but yeah, I, mean, I was blown away. Branching out, yeah, branching out is so good for artists to do, but it's also risky because you as a listener get so used to their sound and what to expect. And this is such a, just so different for her, but it worked and it worked well. So yeah. yeah. And one of the big, Parts of the album, of course, she lists in the credits. Um, they came to this to artists uh, that were recognized, who were pioneers of this sound, um, dedicating to her Uncle Johnny, who passed of AIDS um, when she was young. Uh, he was her mother's nephew, actually. And mm. um, I read where he actually taught Tina, her mother, how to costume. So, oh. like, like, she she got her inspiration from him and she would eventually go on to make, you know, all Destiny Child's outfits in the early days, yeah. early years. So he was influenced through them both. Um, yeah. And she sort of dedicated to those that, that do get overlooked um, in the music game. Which brings us to the next topic that sort of like was a little hiccup in the rollout. Um, did did you catch this sample after all the the controversy? Honestly, I didn't. I won't lie. I, I saw all the blow up, and I expected the sample to be a little bit bigger, but not until I really listened, and then I found it. But yeah, yeah. No, not initially. So we all know by now um, the short song on the album "Energy" samples the drums from Khaleesi's Milkshake, which was produced by Pharrell and Chad Hugo, aka Neptunes, from her album Tasty. And on my second, of course, you know, the internet was told that the sample was from Get Along With You from her debut album. So everyone was searching for that sound when it wasn't there. Right. You, you kind of do a little dog side uh, perk, like what? Like, yeah. <laughs> on the second listen, after learning that they pulled from Milkshake, I definitely heard the drums in like the latter half of the track. And you can even hear the la la la's um from the chorus. So it is there, else she wouldn't have, you know, yeah. Been so upset. Yeah, yeah. But um, yes, there was a bit of controversy because Khalees um sort of came for Beyonce, Pharrell, and Shaz Hugo, all three, because she was not notified of the sampling. And I don't think anyone initially knew. I think it was just how Beyonce did this. Like she contacted those who own the rights to the music, but no right. one knew until the album came out. Because you had um, you had uh, audio from T.S. Madison on um, Cozy. Yeah. And she didn't know she was on there until it came out. She gave gratitude. Same thing with Church Girl. You know, um, Twinkie Clark was not aware of it until, you know, it came out and people were saying it. And the same with Khalees. Like, she had fans 
uh, tag her and let her know that she had been sampled. And I guess, you know, journalists or whoever blogs call it a collaboration, which I think we all knew Kalisha was not in the studio. Like this was not right, yeah. Beyonce featuring she was. Right, right. <laughs> so they have responsibility to as reporting it wrong. But um, you know, Khalees made it known that, you know, she was sort of upset that she didn't get like a courtesy call asking for the track to be used, which I guess is common in the industry. Um, but ultimately she's she's upset because she has, you know, implied for years now that Pharrell sort of um pressured her into signing away her masters to them, the Neptunes, for them to produce her albums, which is, you know, a predatory act, not uncommon in the industry. And she um, feels that she's, you know, owed, you know, some publishing rights and stuff for those albums. So her real vitriol was for Pharrell and Chad Hugo, but everyone saw it pitting a Black woman against another Black woman. so what was your final take on that sort of incident and how did you feel, did you feel conflicted listening to this amidst Khaleesi's sort of uh, issue or what were your thoughts? No, I, I wouldn't say I, I, some, I, I agree with Khalees. I agree that maybe, you know, Beyonce calling and saying though that this is happening would have been um, a nice thing to do, but I am on the same, th- no, I think Beyonce does that to keep the kind of like fanfare down around it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think she did it with that purpose in mind. I don't think she had malicious intent. Doesn't mean she didn't do something wrong, but um, and then on the same side, yeah, I think Khalees has every right to be upset, especially with Pharrell. And, you know, she really did come after him saying that, you know, he hasn't written a song in 10 years and Chad Hugo was spineless. I was like, damn, she's yeah she's letting it fly <laughs> yeah because she she really doesn't bother anyone she minds no. her business and she is an innovator in sort of this music game like despite oh, whether who wrote what who produced what the neptunes would not be the neptunes without kaleidoscope and wonderland no absolutely not like she was the muse she was the beginning so right i felt kind of the same way like um i did i felt i felt she had the right to be angry people were like girl we can hardly hear the sample you you need to go somewhere you can sell this you didn't do that and that's when it's like okay is it uchiwali or one mic because preach all all the time protect black women support black women and then a black woman is rightfully voicing her opinion about something and because it's Beyonce, we're just gonna dismiss her altogether. When when this happens to rappers and stuff, we're all, you know, champion for the artists and their rights. So it's definitely a a slippery slope. People teeter totter all the time of who they want to support and who they don't, depending on the situation. But all the best to Khalees. She's one of my favorite artists. So yeah, she's very yeah so we're going to get into our top five tracks this may be hard and definitely change from day to day but um just just tell us your favorite five songs from this uh this piece of work okay so yeah my like i said earlier my favorite song off of the album is 
pure uh, honey, that's backslash honey. And for some reason that, I don't know why that stuck with me so much. There were the lyrics, of course, but then just the music was so smooth and it, it really did feel like something you could kind of groove to. So I'm a, I like that. Uh, Alien Superstar was nuts. It had like a, it was funky. And once the baseline kicked in, you just, you know, constantly nodding your head. And uh, that was very, very different from Beyonce. And I just really liked the lyrics to that one as well. And then Move, uh, like we spoke about, was good. Um, kind of a more aggressive sound and but but fun energy and then uh like we said before break my soul sounded so much better on the album with the other songs around it so that one would be my fifth is break my soul so, yeah. okay for me um my top is alien superstar i think like you said it sounds totally different from what we're used to from from Beyonce reminds me of right. like 80s um, Prince Climax, like this, that sort of like right, right. like funk, like it it just snaps. And then she goes from like this staccato, or staccato uh, verse delivery to like the chorus where she sounds like an angel, just sort of like riffing on the, yeah. the right said Fred. Um, too classy for this work. Like it's just <laughs> effortless. Um, next, I have America has a problem because that just it makes me want to learn how to vogue and whatnot. Right. <laughs> the way it starts out, America has a problem. Then she just goes into like this sort of erratic, like just stomping. It's fire. Um, my third would be Cuff It because it feels just so freeing. Um, definitely like a club anthem. And I've already seen countless remixes of it. Someone uh, put it on top of Rihanna's Please Don't Stop the Music. Um, someone else mixed it with uh, Janice All For You, which already sampled Change. So it has that 70s vibe to it. Um, right. My fourth is Church Girl, because uh, mm. it just sort of goes off, and the message is just like, again, it's just that freeing, that reassurance, right, right. reaffirming of yourself. Um, and then I have Heated because of the that latter, yeah, less just right. off, just going off on the haters. You Monday, I'm overrated. Tuesday, you're on my dick. Flippy flop, flippy flop, bitch, like. And it's true. Like people were posting. Yeah. Some girl had tweeted how, and this might be a discussion later down the line, but how, you know, this cis y'all, this cisgendered woman is just dabbling in LGBTQ when she wants to without real real um representation, blah, blah, blah. And then someone posted a tweet she made two years ago about how Beyonce is everything, this, that, and the third. It's like, so which is it? Like you guys, you can be right. critical, of course, but like. The goalposts of what right. you guys expect. People love to people love to hate. That's the bottom line. People get on the internet; it's freeing. They love to say what they want, but I mean, I, Beyonce knows who her fans are, and I don't think she's using the LGBTQ community for anything. She knows that the base of her fans is, is yeah. that. Yeah, and she's 
she's giving credit where credit is due. So yeah, yeah. I, I I just love the album as a whole. Um, now, where would you rank this in the rest of her discography? If I had if I had to do like a top three, I would put this in between. Oh Jesus, where would I put this? I think I'd put this number two behind um, which one call it behind B Day, and then it would go B Day number one, this number two. And then just the self-titled one from 2013, Beyonce, because the, the, the visuals that came out with that and everything kind of blew me away. But B-Day gets number one because I remember that album dropped and it played on MTV videos 24 hours. Like it was nonstop. So, <laughs> but yeah. yeah. I agree. It's definitely shooting up to the top three. I think B-Day is definitely my all-time favorite and just sort of like the moment she sort of defined exactly what to expect from her, like the right. workmanship, the creativity, the the talent, along with the performance showmanship, like the album is just sort of like a classic. And then yeah, Beyonce, the self-title was sort of like a shift. Like she had already sort of proven herself. Right. And Beyonce was like her breaking out into her full final form I guess you'd say for another sort of era to occur and we're reaping you know that again with with renaissance and I I don't I don't know what to expect in act two act three like I don't know if we're going to get new albums or will act two just be the videos and act three the tour like what it could go any way with her yeah no I I I completely agree because I'm not sure what else she can do. Yeah, I know. Yeah, like dance-wise, yeah. Right, I know they said the visuals are coming at a later okay. date. Um, so that's going to be interesting. But yeah, two acts. This being the first act is is mind-blowing. Um, yeah, so it, it's like, what, what else can she do? Like, damn. Right, right. And... And may and girl, give us a remix album because oh, that would be good. The remixes that people are doing are crazy, and then that could be like, and that's what I miss, like the six-minute dance remix of this, or like, right, right, just a totally different version of that. Like, people are already doing it, and it just makes sense in this dance music genre that you pump out all these different mixes um for your fans to enjoy and to for the the album's life to carry on like years from now so yeah yes renaissance gets five stars for me absolutely same here <laughs> <laughs> all right before we close here we're shooting for the weekend uh well what should we call it uh reservation dogs is definitely the top of the list and it seems like it's been so quick, like a quicker turnaround, but I'm not complaining. I really am excited to see that. And other than that, not too much. There's stuff I need to catch up because tomorrow industry starts. So I still need to get those in. So I'm not too far behind. So yeah, just those two things. Okay. And I'm pretty sure the first season of industry was on like eight episodes. 
because it was like yeah it's really it's really short yeah but it's yeah. it's like i don't want to say like euphoria but it's like euphoria in the workplace right right that's what i heard it's just kind of like the finance world gone like nuts yeah but it, it's very good um yeah i have reservation dogs down as well um industry i didn't get into that milestone documentary so i'll see if that i can catch that and then on the fifth hulu drops prey which is the predator prequel film um and i'm i'm glad they did this there's a option to view it all in the native kamachi language instead of in english so yeah. i've heard it's really good um so i'll I'll try to watch that. I was always scared of it, yeah. but <laughs> uh, if you're hearing this, we thank you for listening to Is It Streamable Life with Brandon and Lauren. Join us every Wednesday on Apple, Spotify, Google, and now Amazon or wherever else you get podcasts. And if you're enjoying the show, send us a great review or rating and share it with others. Um, next week, we'll see we'll return to 1990s Boston with Showtime's crime drama City on a Hill and FX on Hulu's critically acclaimed dramedy, Reservation Dogs. Until then, keep on streaming. Peace.